Welcome to episode 85 of the Adventures with Grammy podcast. I am your host, Carolyn Berry. Today's guest is Jasmine Jimenez, the author of a new collection of children's books based on true stories of her grandmother. Her first book, Eugenia Hunts for Gemstones, is available now, and her second book, Eugenia and the Christmas Dress, is part of a Kickstarter program that needs to be funded fully by September 4th. Jasmine lives in San Diego with her partner of almost 20 years. Together, they are creating a farm in Texas where they are raising honeybees. I urge you to consider supporting Eugenia and the Christmas dress. The link to do so is in the show notes. Jasmine, welcome to the podcast. I absolutely love your books. You are a fabulous writer, and I am rooting for your Kickstarter campaign to be funded 100%. Thank you very much. It's really, it means a lot to me because it's a personal book. So I really appreciate that. I love that they are based on your grandmother. Well, me too. (laughs) There's a lot of stories that she told over the course of my life when I was growing up that you just hear over and over again and you start paying attention to. And then when you become an adult, you're like, wow, those are really cool things that actually happened in her life. Is she still with us? No, she passed away in 2014. Oh, I'm sorry. Tell me about her. She was actually, she was 97 years old when she passed away. And it was uh, her heart that gave out, but she was completely cognitive and she was still extremely smart. She did income taxes into her 90s. She moved from the East Coast to the West Coast as a single mom when it wasn't necessarily acceptable to be a single mom with her daughter. And she started a new life out here on the West Coast in California, which is where this book actually takes place in the high desert of California. You've now written two books, but you have a series planned. Yes. So my second book, Eugenia and the Christmas Dress, is in a Kickstarter right now until September 3rd. And then I have three more written The plan is to have them all edited and illustrated in 2023 and have them come out at different seasons. That's my big idea plan. So we're going to see how this one goes with the Kickstarter and see how quickly I can get started on the third book. Was your first book a Kickstarter program as well? Yes, it was. I did Kickstarter for the first book in 30 days and it was 110% funded. That's fabulous. I discovered you on Kickstarter. For listeners who are not familiar with Kickstarter, could you explain what that is? Kickstarter is a crowdfunding platform where people like me that are working on a passion project or something very important to themselves can create an intro video or an intro story with some graphics and you upload it to your account. And then you hope people like you find you and help support your your campaign. That's what they're called or campaigns. If you set yourself your goal and if you meet your goal, then you get the funding. If you don't meet your goal, then you don't get the funding and nobody's cards are ever charged. So the money never leaves your bank. Then what happens after that is when, like when I got my funding, I was able to send my project to the printers and get them printed and bound and shipped out to everybody that had pre-ordered a book. When does this current Kickstarter program end? This one ends on September 3rd. I believe it's at 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If somebody wants to support you 
and help you launch this book, then they need to go to kickstarter.com and pledge support. I found you just by browsing. If somebody specifically wants to support you, how do they find you on Kickstarter? You can search Eugenia and Eugenia and the Christmas Dress will show up, or you can go to my website, eugeniasbooks.com, both plural, and there will be a pop-up window that'll take you directly to Kickstarter if you click on it. Okay. I hope some listeners decide that they would like to support you. I've seen the first book. And actually the one that you're doing now and the illustrations are absolutely endearing and your writing style is just so easy to read and so loving that I do encourage people to seriously consider supporting you because I think the books are just really inspirational. Well, thank you very much. I really love writing just about anything. I love research. I love history. So all of those things together, I think are just making a little bit of magic happen for these books. The stories, you know, I can't make the stories up. They happened and they're beautiful. They're real, they're memories. And so they're easy for me to take from my mind to my hands and to get out on paper. My illustrator, Electra, she lives in Italy. And I actually found her through going through portfolios on Etsy and really trying to find an illustrator that I could fall in love with their work without thinking like, oh, well, this could be different or that could be different. And when I found her, I thought, okay, I'm going to hire her for a small project outside of the books and see if we can work together because there could be a language barrier. I didn't know if she spoke English, time zone difference. How are we going to do this? And so I hired her for the first job and it was, it was so easy to work with her. The flow was easy. And so then I asked her, are you interested in doing a five book project with me? And she said, absolutely. I create mood boards for every page. And I kind of tell her what I think is important in the story that I would like to see illustrated. And then she takes that into consideration, obviously. And then she sends me back sketches. And so for this second book that's coming out, we're working overtime because the printer put a a stricter deadline on us to get the files to them in order to get it done for Christmas. It's been fun, but the last month I've been getting up anywhere between 2 a.m. and 5 a.m., Pacific Standard Time to work on her time zone in Italy to make sure that this happens for Christmas this year. Oh, wow, that's pressure. She does such a beautiful job. And I, I love how she is able to portray these characters. And I never sent her pictures of my grandmother. I never sent her pictures of anything. I just sent her mood boards of what I think it should feel like. And she's able to do this. That's wonderful. Tell me a little bit more about your grandmother. How many children and grandchildren did she have? She has three children and grandchildren. The first round of us, there was five. And then we had James added. So then there were six. And then her great-grandchildren, I don't know. I would have to sit down and actually count, but definitely probably close to a dozen. Can you share just some times that you spent with your grandmother and what made that relationship so special? What did she do that made you fall in love with her? Well, I'll start when we were young. My mother, her daughter, 
she always took us to see my grandmother. So we lived in San Diego, California. My grandma was in Barstow, but I have a lot of memories of actually spending lots of time in Barstow, being in her home, which was really special to me. And I didn't realize what was special about it till I got older, but we moved around a lot in San Diego. And so we lived in a lot of houses, a lot of apartments and my grandmother always lived in the same house that I think always felt like home to me because it was maybe the decorations changed, but it was always the same. Well, you know, you're a grandma too. And so obviously you're, when your grandkids come, it's always special. She had one summer, we all got puppies. She had a goat one summer, which I have no idea where she got the goat or how the goat ended up at her house. She let us ride back then three wheelers. Now I think they're illegal, but we have four wheelers now. So we were able to ride three wheelers in her yard, which was a lot of fun. And then silly things like frozen Cokes and frozen Hawaiian punches and things that only happened like at her house. And so those things are always special for grandkids. But when I got older, I had my son when I was 16 years old and I really latched onto my grandmother for support about just about anything about raising a baby, right? Like the very first thing my grandma told me was when you start to use bottles, you have to sanitize a bottle. Well, I had no idea what that meant. So she taught me how to boil bottles on the stovetop. When he got a little bit older, you know, I would call her and say, grandma, how do I cook chicken? (laughs) So I, you know, things like that, where she really played an important role in helping me raise my son. I used to call myself her sidekick because we honestly spoke on the phone just about every day. I, I think that maybe there would be a couple days in between a phone call if I was especially busy, but the standard would be to talk to her every day. So she played with you a lot and she was playful. Is that what I'm hearing? When we were younger, she was very playful. She always had things for us to do for sure. There's some things like you'll see in the Christmas book that are coming out that are accented in the book. Candy wreaths were, they were always a tradition. Every Christmas, she would make candy wreaths for all of her grandkids to take to school. That always made you feel special to have something to share with your classroom. And she would make sure there were really big, beautiful bows on them. And I have that kind of highlighted in the book. It's not a topic, but they're just sort of in the background as illustrations. What a wonderful tradition. There's lots of little things in both of the books that are meaningful. The angel in the book for the Christmas, uh, Eugenia and the Christmas dress, the angel that you'll see throughout the book, that's actually designed from um, an angel that my son actually made in preschool. And we use that as our tree topper for just about 22 years, that paper angel. And so I had photos of it and I asked Electra to read, to illustrate it for the book. And so you'll see that quite a bit. I'm looking at a picture of it right now. It's really cute. Much further than this, I would like big idea thinking. I would love Eugenia to be um, school supplies that the kids want to have when they go back to school, a household name somebody that a character that can teach core values um, in a fun way, like the Christmas dress story that's coming out that's more about giving rather than receiving and how that makes you feel fulfilled. So I would really like to explore her character and make the books. Right now, there's a trend going around with those, those little shape books that were really popular in the 80s. 
the little miss books or the the mr books um i don't know if you're familiar with those but something like that where kids know like the new eugenia books coming out mom or dad grandma i want to i want to get the new eugenia book and i want them to feel special i don't want to i don't want to cap it at five books um if i can grow an audience to help me support this adventure I, I will keep writing and I will keep getting them illustrated and I will keep producing them. Hope that works out. Now, Eugenia, how did you come up with that name? Is that your grandmother's name? It's actually her middle name. Um, her, her mom actually gave her the middle name Eugene and she found out that was a boy name. And so she changed it to Eugenia. When, when I started this project, it didn't feel like work to me. It, it felt like I was creating something purposeful and meaningful and something that I felt really could bring joy and happiness and value to homes. And it's so much different, you know, than just going to work every day. And so I would encourage anybody that has something like this, you know, now that I've done this, I've met so many people, so many people that have told me, oh, I have an idea for a book. I have an idea for a children's book. And I keep telling them, people will probably tell you to do it. And I would say, but you really just have to do it. Just put the words on the paper, find an editor, like just keep moving forward because even though it's a lot of work, once you have that book in your hands, it feels so different than just the idea of, I have a, I have a book I want to write. And you probably know that feeling right when you first started your podcast and then you keep doing it and you're adding value to so many people's lives you're offering something that people can enjoy that they find value and they learn from and so I think that I didn't understand that before when people would say like to work on something that you're passionate about and now that I've started this I understand it and I want more people to do what they're passionate about because it feels really good yes and Earlier, when you were talking about you want you hope that Eugenia becomes bigger than what it is, I see this in the same light as like the Amelia Bedelia books or the um, I can't think of any of the other books right now, but those series of books that kids just devour because the characters are just so real and they can identify with them. And the thing that I loved about Eugenia hunting for gems is that's something that I've always had wanted to do with my grandchildren. And this past week, three of them were with me and we went on a semi gem hunt. It wasn't in like digging in the mountains or the desert or, you know, by a, a riverbed. It was a, it was a setup at a park that used to be the site of a gold mine and they had a you know, the sluice coming down and then you could buy a bag that there were a certain number of gemstones or gold in it. And so I introduced the children to the idea of, you know, panning for gold and, and you know, panning for the gemstones. And I told them, I said, one of the adventures I want to take you on is to go to the mountains and actually dig on the side of the mountain and find these gemstones. And so I relate it to this book easily because this is something that I want to do with my grandkids. And that's what, even though it's the mama and Eugenia going, 
I can see grandparents relating to this because it's that one-on-one connection with your grandchild that just really speaks to the heart. Yes. I think it's really neat that you did that with your grandkids. I think the, the theme throughout the books is what you're speaking to about the one-on-one connection, the family traditions, spending time with your family, all of those things will be the theme through all of the books. I think it's really important to grow those relationships. And, you know, because like my grandmother's not here anymore. And the only way we can continue celebrating her is to share our stories and our memories. And if we don't do adventures like you just did with your grandkids, then there's nothing really, you know, to sit around and talk about and remember. I just remembered something right now when you were telling your story about your grandkids. When we were little, my grandmother had these tiny little glasses and we didn't know what they were, you know, but they were like special um, drinks, drink glasses, like maybe for an alcohol drink. And she used to put like a grape juice in them. And we used to pretend like we were drinking (laughs) wine around the things to the table (laughs) and like (laughs) little things like that, you know, and I just, I don't know. I just know like your grandkids are going to remember that time you just spent this past weekend. I I chuckle when you talk about the little drink glasses. I vividly remember my grandmother making wine and she often made dandelion wine and she had a decanter that always reminded me of, do you remember the program? I I dream of Jeannie and that little decanter that she would out of. Well, this bottle, this decanter is shaped exactly like it. And it's blue with little, uh, not gemstones, but like a a plastic kind of material that's, that's beaded around. And it has these little shot glasses that are also the same color blue. And it has these same little dots decorating them. Mm -hmm. And I can remember so often her giving me a little sip of wine and making sure that she told me not to tell my parents that she (laughs) had given me this wine. (laughs) And then there was a drink that was popular when I was a little girl called Fizzies, and it was like an Alka-Seltzer tablet, but it was a sugary precursor to Kool-Aid, actually, and it was in a tablet, and you would drop it into a glass of water, and it would fizz, and that's why it was called Fizzies, and once the fizz stopped, you had grape, you know, grape, grape-flavored water, basically, and so often she would make, or I would make these drinks, these fizzy drinks. And then I would pour it into this little glass and drink it and pretend that I was, you know, just hoity-toity that I was drinking out of this glass. My grandmother actually bequeathed that wine decanter and glasses to me, and it's sitting on a, on a table in my house. And when the grandkids come, they have seen that and they've asked me about it. And so I've told them that story. So it just, it's a sweet memory that you just helped to bring up. There's so many things like you just, right now when I'm, I'm showing my book at, I've done it twice now at a gym fair and I bring with me this vase that is filled with turquoise that my grandmother found in the desert and that she tumbled. And every time I tell the story at the table where people are coming to buy the book, um, they just immediately 
immediately start telling me stories about their grandparents and what they did in the desert and gemstones and memories. And it's so neat, you know, to hear these stories and little things like how we're just talking, how they bring them up. They just take us like to a place where we were happy, real memories that just brought joy. Last week when we went to this uh, gold mine site and we, the kids were sifting through the bags of gemstones and they found three or four pieces of emerald and you know, it's not polished. It's just raw gemstones and emerald happens to be my birthstone. And so there was one that was just incredibly shiny and sparkly. And I asked if I could have that one. And of course they said, yes. And then when, when they understood why I was drawn to this emerald, because it's my birthstone, they dug all through the gems that they had unearthed and they gave me all of the gems, all of the emeralds. So I have about five or six little pieces of these raw emeralds and I have to decide what I am going to do with them because I want to make them into some sort of jewelry. And I'm thinking that I'm going to take them to a jeweler and talk to him about, even if I don't, they're not tumbled and polished or cut, faceted, even if I just take the raw gem and put wire around them and make earrings, I want to make jewelry out of this so that when I wear it, the kids will be reminded of the day that we did this because it was just filled with laughter and, Oh, look at this. Oh, look at that. You know, the kids were just awestruck by doing that. And for the rest of their lives, they're going to remember your birthstone. And that's like, those <laughs> yeah. Special things like they'll just always remember my grandma's birthstone was an emerald. And, you yeah. know, you just carry that through. And then every time an emerald comes up in their lives, they're going to have that memory. You know, every time I see turquoise, obviously I think of my grandmother and I think about all the times that she spent in the desert and everything. I mean, because it's a lot of work to find as much as she found. What was her passion behind that? What was driving her to do that? So it just makes you think about things. And I think like most people, um, the history gets romanticized a lot and like things that are unknown to you. And so you can kind of fill in the blanks with what you think happened or why you think it happened. (laughs) And that brings me to another point. I'm a real proponent of recording family stories. And last Christmas, I assembled this notebook of, of names of ancestors or titles of ancestors, like aunt, uncle, cousin, grandmother, great-grandmother, great aunt, you know, that kind of thing. And with the idea that I would ask the children's relatives to write stories that they knew about these particular relatives and also to write stories about themselves so that we could put them in a notebook and the pass them down so that the kids would have these family stories and not have to rely on memories. And so I'm doing that for the grandkids. I'm writing stories and I just finished writing an entry about our day gem, you know, looking for the gems and the panning for gold. And so that when I see them again, I'll, you know, I'll take these pages and put them in the notebooks when I get there. But that way they can still use their imaginations and fill in the gaps, but they'll also have my authentic voice of what I actually felt that day and how happy I was seeing the smiles. You know, I took pictures and 
you don't even know I was there because I'm always behind the camera. So very seldom do you see me interacting with the kids because nobody else is snapping the pictures, but their smiles and just the lights in their eyes, you know, it was just so much fun. I love that idea of having people write their own story and or stories about each other. I, I love that idea because you're so right. You know, we have so many family members that go before us and we don't know except for the things that we hear every once in a while from other people. And the fact that you're writing some of those stories down as a semi-fictional, semi-real storybook for other children to share is just really important as well. Thank you. The one thing that I will say to you also, I, cause I get this question asked a lot, like, well, which one is your grandma in the book? And so the story, the characters in the book are all my grandmother at different times in her life, sort of communicating with herself, maybe when she was younger and then hindsight, when, when grandma's introduced in the Christmas book. And so there's little pieces of different people in our family build built into the character, but they really are her at different times in her life. And so I don't know if that's easy to understand, but that's, she's just sort of all of the characters in the book. Really a wonderful tribute to your grandmother. What was your son's relationship with her? How did they interact? My son was her first great grandson. (laughs) Um, She nicknamed him JJ because his name is Justin. And so he actually still uses that nickname and she wanted to make sure that my son was able to have the same sort of experiences that his friends were having that maybe, you know, his friends, most of his friends' parents were a lot older than me. And so, you know, when it comes to back to school shopping and um, different things, playing sports, making sure if he wanted to, that he could. And so she was always right there, just making sure, you know, if you need help, to make these things happen for him, she was going to be the one to make sure that it happened. Um, Kind of like his little guardian angel. That's not to say that my parents, because my son was their first grandbaby, they also did the same, my mom and my dad. He, my son was very, very much loved when he was born by our entire family. He's 28 now, and he has a very good relationship with both of his grandparents. And what I am hearing from you is that there was no judgment of you having a baby at 16. They embraced you and they embraced your son. And that has to make you feel really special as well. Absolutely. Um, My entire family did. And I I think, you know, as parents, you, I I know as parents there, you don't want your 16 year old to be having a baby and starting that that type of lifestyle. Obviously they probably had a lot of other dreams and wishes and things that they would have wanted me to go down, you know, but once he was here, then those things kind of all disappear because now you just have a new life and it's a new path. It's a new journey. (laughs) I think you brought a lot of happiness to everybody. (laughs) I remember one time being, he was just a few months old and we were, I was taking him, my mother was with me and we were taking him to get his picture taken. I think at like a JCPenney's or a Sears And we were, you know, just ooing and aahing over him. And this gentleman walked up to us and said, 
I have never seen one man be able to keep two women so happy. (laughs) 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 And I remember that. And I think it's so funny that he came and told us that. (laughs) He sounded jealous. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Maybe. So are you a grandmother? I am not a grandmother. Um, I have no pressure on my son uh, to make that happen. When it does happen, I think it's going to be amazing for both of us. I think he's going to be a wonderful dad. And when the time is right for him, I, I will be right there to support him. Just talking about it feels good. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode of the Adventures with Grammy podcast. You will find the links to our guests and the topics we discussed in this episode's show notes. If you would like to be a guest, or if you know someone who would be an awesome guest, please connect with me at carolyn at adventureswithgrammy.com.